Have you ever wondered why you act the way you act? Have you ever said something that you wished you could take back immediately? And then you did the exact same thing the next day and the day after that? Have you ever wondered why there's that one thing that when your partner does it, it just drives you crazy when really it shouldn't? Welcome to Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain. Before I get going, let me shamelessly tell you about my Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash Skip Collins. It's a place where you can financially support an old retired guy and his podcast. I'm really excited about some new content that I'm working on that is going to be available only to our Patreon community sometime in the next couple of weeks. And you can be a part of that community for as little as a dollar a month. So check it out. A number of times in previous episodes of this podcast, I've mentioned the Enneagram. It's been a tool that has helped me exponentially in my life, but I've hesitated to do a podcast series or even an episode on the Enneagram. Firstly, because there is so much great information out there already. Podcasts, blogs, books, courses, vlogs, everything you can imagine. Secondly, because it's such a deeply spiritual process of transformation. I don't want to just turn it into some kind of social media meme that attracts people's attention but has no transformational value in their life. But even with those reservations, I thought it was still worth talking about because it has been so transformational in my life. Maybe for some of you, you've never heard of the Enneagram. I find that hard to believe in this day and age, but maybe. Or maybe some of you have heard of it and you've taken a test somewhere along the line, much like you do with a BuzzFeed test on Facebook, but that's about as far as you've gotten. You know you're a three or a six and you've rated it right up there with which rock star you look like the most. Or maybe some of you have been approached by an over-enthusiastic Enneagram evangelist who thinks they know everything about you. And so when I mention it, you roll your eyes and say, no thanks, Skip, I'm out of here. So no matter where you are on that Enneagram spectrum, my goal in this podcast is to get you excited about the Enneagram, or at least excited enough to do a little more investigating. I first came across the Enneagram probably 25 years ago when I was still with Youth for Christ. It spread through our office and we were reading and typing each other at an alarming rate. I'm quite attracted to personality assessments and so I was all in right away. Then later, I was introduced to Richard Rohr's teaching on the Enneagram by my friend and boss at that time, Andy Luke. He had a set of cassette tapes that he loaned me. That's how long ago it was. And then after I devoured the tapes, I bought Richard's book called Discovering the Enneagram. Since then, I've read numerous books and listened to a couple of podcasts on the subject pretty much every week. I've attempted to teach it on occasion, and the more I learn about myself and the Enneagram, the more excited and obsessed I get about it and the more helpful it becomes to me. Even in these last few weeks as we have dealt with the coronavirus lockdown 
and the collapse of the world economy, and even in my own retirement, the Enneagram is helping me to cope big time. I continue to understand my own anxiety and, more importantly, the practical things that I can do based on who I am that are helping me in this time of my life. The Enneagram, for lack of a better description, is a personality categorizing system. There are nine basic personality types. The traditional Enneagram teachers will just use the numbers one through nine, which is what I actually prefer. Numerous schools of thought have added names to each type, which is sometimes helpful, but can also be limiting. While we have bits of every number in us, we all have a dominant number, the way that we see the world. Sometimes that number is hard to figure out. For a lot of years, I thought I was a three. I took a simple test and it said I was a three and the people around me told me I was a three. But after a while, there were just too many things that didn't add up. And after plenty of study and observation on myself, I I came to the conclusion that I was actually a seven. Sometimes figuring this out takes a while. Besides the dominant number that you most relate to, you will most likely take on some of the characteristics and traits of the numbers on either side of your number. For example, if you are a two, You might take on some of the traits of the three or the one. We call that your wings. However, if you're a two, you can't have a wing of a six, for example. It's the number on either side of your dominant number. On top of that, there are three subcategories of every number. And on top of that, there are numbers you move toward when you are stressed and numbers you move toward when you are in health. Now, I don't throw all of that out there just to confuse you, although it probably does. I put it out there so that you can see that this isn't just a simple nine categories that stereotypes you with one-ninth of the rest of the world. The possibilities of the Enneagram are pretty endless. What's really important to know about the Enneagram is that it's not about behavior, It's not about what I do. It's about why I do what I do. It's about what drives me and what motivates me to behave the way that I do. See, it's easy to identify behavior. I'm a very driven person or I'm a very caring person. The question is, why are you driven or why are you caring? Lots of people are driven for a lot of different reasons. Some people are driven because a parent told them they would never amount to anything, and so they're trying to prove something. Some people are driven because they love the rewards from their drivenness. Some people are driven because they just want to look good in front of others. Some people are driven because they crave power. The question is, why are you driven? Or caring, or argumentative, or whatever the particular behavior is. One of the things you learn in the process of studying the Enneagram is that your strength and your weakness are two sides of the same coin. What makes you unique and amazing in this world can also be the thing that takes you down if it's not used properly. The Enneagram is about your strength 
and your weakness, which is actually the same thing, believe it or not. So how do you figure out what Enneagram number you actually are? I'll give you an answer to that in a moment, but let me preface it with this. I think in many ways, the Enneagram is not to be figured out. It's to be journeyed. It's to be lived. It's to be experienced. And I think that is really important to understand. One of the ways you can find out is to take a test. There are lots of them out there in this age of the internet. There are some bad ones and some good ones, some that you pay money for and some that are free. I'll put a couple of links in the notes if you want to check them out. The problem with test is that it sounds like when you take the test, you're done. Now I find out I'm a four, and so I read about it a little bit, and I find it interesting, and that's that. Enneagram done and dusted. Or some people say, they took the test and it was all wrong. This is crazy. I'm not any of those things. This Enneagram thing is totally useless. Test can be helpful if you understand that it's the beginning of the journey. It's the beginning of exploring and observing and reflecting on why you do what you do. And for me, that is the strength of the Enneagram. The strength isn't found in knowing my number. The strength is reflecting on and observing my behavior. The strength comes in always asking myself the question, why? Why did I act like that? Why do I feel like this? Why did I fly off the handle when my partner asked me a rather innocent question? Why did that hurtful statement just come flying out of my mouth? Why do I keep making the same mistakes over and over? It's in the questioning and the reflecting that transformation happens. Let me start by giving you a quick overview of one of the triads of the Enneagram. The nine numbers are divided into three triads that are called the intelligence centers. Sometimes when I'm trying to discover my number, it's easier to start with these triads to narrow down the possibilities. The intelligence centers are how we perceive the world and our relationship to it. For some, we perceive the world by instinct. You've heard us use this language. I just had this gut feeling. Those are people that live their lives by instinct. Others perceive everything with their hearts or their emotions. It's all about how they feel. And finally, there are those who perceive the world in their heads. They think and sometimes they overthink everything. These are the three intelligence centers, instinct, heart, and head. In with the Enneagram numbers, it goes like this. Twos, threes, and fours are heart people. Five, six, and sevens are head people. And eight, nines, and ones are instinct people. 
Not only do these three centers help us to understand how we perceive the world, they also tell us something about our most accessible emotional response or reaction to an event. So if you happen to be an eight, a nine, or a one, you process the world through instinct. You live by this gut feel. And at the same time, you will quickly embrace the emotion of anger. It's kind of your go-to emotion. Maybe another way to talk about this emotion thing is energy. It's the energy that you put out into the world. However, within each of these triads, in each of these three numbers, everybody embraces this energy differently. So for eights, that anger energy, it'll be right out there. You will see it. Eights love causes that generate righteous anger. Nines, on the other hand, ignore their anger, even though it actually is there. They're like the ostrich that buries their head in the sand, although ostriches don't actually do that, but nines actually do. The ones, on the other hand, suppress their anger. And the problem is that they're ready to blow at any given time, because of all that suppressed anger. But all three of those numbers deal with this emotion, this energy of anger. Now, if you're a two or a three or a four, you're part of the second triad. You are a heart person. That means you perceive the world through your emotions, through how it feels. And at the same time, you will quickly embrace the emotional response of shame. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown defines shame like this. The intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. So each of these three numbers, twos, threes, and fours, deal with exactly the shame that Brene is talking about. But again, each of these three numbers deals with shame differently. Twos work hard to be worthy of love by loving others, by caring, and by serving Threes try to feel worthy by accomplishment and by being successful. And then fours, who probably feel shame the most, work to make their own uniqueness their sense of worth. Then finally, you come to the third intelligence center, the people who process the world in their heads, fives, sixes, and sevens. Their primary emotional response, or their energy, if you will, is fear, or or maybe a better word is anxiety. Because they live in their heads, the anxiety often gets blown way out of proportion when compared with reality. Of course, again, each of these three numbers deal with anxiety differently. Fives deal with it by trying to get all the information they possibly can on a subject. Their biggest fear is that they won't have the answer. 
Sixes often deal with their anxiety by making contingency plans, but usually they begin with the worst-case scenario. Sixes are the master of the worst-case scenario. Sevens, then, are just as anxiety-filled as fives and sixes, but they deal with it by filling their life with adventure or the next big thing. So it doesn't actually look like they have anxiety, even to themselves sometimes. They do everything they possibly can to avoid the pain of fear and anxiety. So a really good place to start when you're trying to figure out your Enneagram number is to observe yourself over a period of time and reflect on these three things regularly. How do you process the world? Through instinct, through feeling, or in your head? Okay, with that as the foundation, let's run briefly through the nine Enneagram numbers. Ones have been called the perfectionists. I don't think that's a very good title because it throws so many people off right in the beginning. Many of us have areas in our lives where we consider ourselves perfectionists, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are ones. Others have used names like reformers for the ones, which I do think is better than perfectionists, but I like to just call them ones. Ones are organized, planned, and very attuned to the details. They're often overloaded with work because A, everybody's happy to give it to them because they know it'll be done well, it'll be done on time, and B, because ones want to do it. See, in the one's mind, everybody else will screw it up, so the only way to get it done right is to do it themselves. But then they are frustrated because nobody works as hard as they do. The dark side of ones is judgmental, harsh, and impatient. They're angry at the world because everybody are incompetent idiots. But mostly they're angry at themselves because of their own incompetency or their own imperfection. Ones are motivated by this need to be right, a need to be good. Twos are often called the helper or the giver or the nurturer. When they're healthy, they bring a beautiful sense of humility and empathy to the world. These are the people that are always there to help in a time of need. But an unhealthy two gets frustrated and hurt when people don't show them the same care they show others. They struggle to do anything for themselves and really struggle to express their own needs, even to themselves. Twos are probably the easiest to see my two sides of the same coin theory, because we've all probably seen a classic two who gives and gives and gives until they have absolutely nothing left. Their giving almost destroys them. Twos are motivated by a need to be loved, a need to be appreciated. Threes are often called the achiever or the performer. They have a need to be successful and can be very competitive at times. They desire to be the very best in their chosen field. 
At their best, they are hardworking, productive, and have incredibly high principles. They make great leading-from-the-front kinds of leaders. They offer confidence and hope in the people around them. Threes love goal-setting, and they can't figure out why other people don't. At their worst, threes are win-at-all-cost people, even if it means having to run over people to get there. They can be manipulative and use people for their own gain. They are prone to workaholism, which they wear as a badge of honor. The inner motivation of the three is to be successful, to be valuable. Fours are difficult to put a name to. They've been called the artist or the romantic, but both of those names seem to miss the mark. Maybe it's because each four is so incredibly unique. What does seem to run true in all fours is their desire to be distinctive and authentic, although that is expressed in a myriad of ways. Fours are in tune to their own feelings and the feelings of others around them. When you cry, they cry. When you laugh, they laugh. At their worst, fours feel like they've been handed a bad deck of cards. They feel slighted and are always trying to prove their own worth to everybody around them, while at the same time feeling like they are not even coming close to that objective. They're prone to depression and periods of intense sadness while focusing on their own perceived unworthiness. I'm not good enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not creative enough. And on and on and on. The four's basic motivation is to be uniquely themselves. Fives are often called the investigator or the thinker or sometimes the loner. Fives are head people. The internet is the best thing that ever happened to fives. In fact, I don't know what fives did before the internet because they love to research and to explore. If you're buying a new car, for example, find a five who recently bought a car and I can guarantee you they will save you hours of research because they have already done more research than you ever thought was possible. Fives have this amazing capacity to compartmentalize life. They have these neat little boxes that everything fits in. So when everybody else is falling apart, they have the ability to see things clearly and to move forward in a decisive way. At their worst, fives are aloof and extremely private. While they possess a wealth of knowledge, they don't share it. They have this need to be completely independent of the rest of the world. They don't need anybody and they don't share themselves with anybody. The five's basic motivation is to be competent and capable. Sixes have been given names like guardian or loyalist or skeptic or troubleshooter, and all those names seem to fit. At their best, sixes are extremely loyal, they're organized, they're hardworking. Sixes usually do their best work as a part of a team. 
and are super dependable in that environment. Healthy sixes are great for a team because they're willing to ask the hard questions that others might not ask. They're willing to face the hard facts without glossing them over. But at their worst, sixes can be extremely negative and always focused on the worst case scenario. Although when questioned about their negativity, they would say they are just being realist. They can become overprotective and overly concerned with what might happen. They're prone to high anxiety and need to work not to let worst case scenarios dictate their entire lives. See, what drives the six is to be safe, to be secure. I know a lot about sevens because I am one. So this is where I've spent the most time in studying the Enneagram. Sevens are sometimes called the adventurer or the enthusiast. They want to experience everything they possibly can out of life, while at the same time avoid personal pain at all costs. For the seven, it's always about the next thing. Because whatever is on the other side of here must be better than what's on this side. Sevens are positive and resilient and flexible. Their energy affects everyone in the room. But at their worst, their dark side, sevens are prone to addiction because more is always better. They can be narcissistic and totally consumed with their own ideas and their own plans. And I am speaking from experience. They struggle to be present because their minds are always on to the next thing. I remember one Christmas when I was the creative arts director at Grace Family Church, I was on the stage leading Christmas carols in one of five services that we were doing. And we had spent months planning and preparing and rehearsing for this moment. In the middle of it, while I was literally singing Joy to the World or something, I was thinking about what we were going to do next year. How are we going to top this? I could not even enjoy the moment that we had worked so hard for because I was worried about next year. That's a seven for you. Eights are the people you want on your side when you're fighting for justice. They're confident, decisive, direct, passionate, and they get things done. But when all those qualities are subject to the dark side, they become angry, aggressive, dominating, argumentative, and overbearing. Of course, eights process the world through their instinct, and so they often say what they think before they have given too much thought to it. Eights are definitely ready, fire, aim people. The main motivation of the eight is to be powerful and independent. They are super motivated to protect the ones that they love. Nine sit at the very top of the Enneagram circle because they seem to be able to see good in everything. They look down at all of the other numbers and see the good in them. They're like the great negotiators and the great peacemakers of the world. The dark side of the nine is to avoid all conflict. They hate conflict, and they will do everything they possibly can, including 
changing themselves or compromising their own values just to avoid confrontation. I said earlier that the nine's go-to emotion is anger, but often they don't even know it. And as a result, they become masters of passive aggression, all the time thinking they're not really angry, but just oozing anger out of their pores. The core motivation of the nine is to be at harmony, to be at peace. So those are super brief overviews of the nine numbers or what some people call the archetypes of the Enneagram. And as we wrap this up, I just want to leave you with some resources, which you can continue to pursue on your own journey. I'll put the links to all of this below. If you love music, check out Sleeping at Last. They have a song that they've recorded about each number of the Enneagram. It is absolutely fantastic. On some of the tracks, they hired only people of that particular number to do the recording. I mean, it's just it's just brilliant what they do. So so check them out. There's also a podcast there for each where they break down each of the songs and and why they did it that way. It's just riveting stuff. As far as books go, the Richard Rohr book is, you know, right up there with one of the best books ever written, even though it's 25 or 30 years old. The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and The Sacred Enneagram by Christopher Hurwitz are some of my favorites. So again, the links will be below. There are a few websites you can check out. The Enneagram Institute is probably the one that's been around the longest, but also Integrative 9 is excellent. They both have lots of tests that you can take, both short free versions and longer paid versions. Both of their tests are pretty much as accurate as tests can be, so check that out. Maybe in the future we can dig more into this, but I've gone on longer than usual, so I need to quit for now. So we'll see you next time. Shalom. Shalom.